How do you do, neighbor? It's Bree and Spirits time once again. The boys have gathered around, and they're ready for you. So join in, make comments, and study with the guys as they try to study as the Bereans did in Acts chapter 17. And now, here's the guys. Happy holidays, and welcome back to Berean Spirits. I hope everybody had a fantastic Thanksgiving week last week. We uh, uh, enjoyed just kind of a little bit of a downtime, pretty chill here with uh, my family. My name is Chris Peltz. I'm the evangelist with the Southside Church of Christ here in Springfield, Missouri. We've got Josh Thornhill with the Brookmead Church of Christ over in Johnson City, Tennessee. Josh, how you doing, man? And how was your Thanksgiving? My Thanksgiving was good. I thought for a second you were about to say Happy Halloween. I thought you're a little late for that, but uh, I had a good Thanksgiving. Well, stuffed my face, which you're supposed to. Uh, yeah, it, it yeah. was good. I, I enjoyed it, and I, I'm doing well today. So yeah, yeah, awesome. Good to hear, man. Man, I had this uh, peanut butter pie that my mother-in-law made. It was so good. <laughs> oh, it was awesome. Uh, My peanut butter pie is pretty good, too. Yeah. Oh, I bet. I bet. Well, oh, yeah. We got Richard over here, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, Richard is recovering. Richard with the Kearney Church of Christ in Kearney, Missouri. Richard, man, uh, you didn't really have a very good Thanksgiving, did you? I had a good Thanksgiving. I just didn't get to spend it with anybody. But. <laughs> Is that had, what was good? Everybody else that? had a good Thanksgiving. <laughs> I had a, I had a, I enjoyed, uh, I, you know, another day in the Lord's service. So, well, yeah, I enjoyed that. Sure. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're, uh, you're feeling better as well. I know, uh, been a little rough around your household, but, uh, things are getting better. So good to, you're able to join us today on Berean Spirits. Want to, uh, of course, encourage folks, if you have a comment or a question or anything like that, that you want to join the conversation, be sure and leave a comment for us. You can always contact us through email, bereanspirits at gmail.com. If you want to shoot us an email as well, just give us a little bit of encouragement. Uh, let us know where you're listening from, those types of things. We always enjoy hearing that. Or if you have a question, something you want us to talk about, we'll be happy to entertain those uh, ideas and thoughts as well. Berean spirits at gmail.com is the email address. And today guys, we're going to be talking about authority in worship and, uh, and, and Richard, you, you know, this is something we have talked about before with this is something that we often like to circle around to authority all the time anyway, because I mean, that's, that's kind of the, uh, the basis, right? I mean, having authority for all things that we do. Colossians three uh, in uh, in Colossians three seventeen. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the Father through Him. So we know we have to have authority for things, but I think you had something a little bit more specific in mind today. Well, we know that you have to have authority. We've accepted that. I don't know if everyone, I know everyone has not accepted that. Right. And, um, 
And the uh, scripture you just quoted from Colossians 3.17, you know, there's a lot of false preachers out there that want to deny what in the name of the Lord Jesus means. And, you know, they deny that until the police knock on their door and they tell them to open up in the name of the law. And all that simply means is, you know, not by man's authority, but by God's authority. Um, whatever we do, we have to do by the authority of God. That's in the name of Jesus Christ. So where are we going? And, and that's something that we all have to agree on before there can be unity, is where are we going to go to get our authority for what we do? You know, Connie Adams said years ago in a sermon, I remember hearing it as a young man, who told you to do that? That was the name of the lesson. Who told you to do that? And that's something that each and every one of us has to ask ourselves. If we can't go to the scriptures and recognize a, a, a remedial teaching that the, the, the purpose of the scriptures is there, to tell us what God wants us to do, you know, uh, then if we can't accept that, then there's no way there can be unity with those who do. Now, the problem comes in, and that's the emphasis of the show, is we've reached a time of year where those who deny authority of scriptures want to celebrate or worship God in a way that they see fit because they want to have a Christmas celebration at church. And with a Christmas celebration, they're wanting to introduce uh, worship that in my opinion has not been authorized. And so that's why we've decided to talk about uh, authority and worship today we're going to try to look into that very idea of having a Christmas service and uh, trying to determine whether or not we have authority for such. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because there's only two options when it comes to the source of authority, right? Jesus was asked the question at one time, by what authority do you do these things? And he had pointed out, you know, well, I'll answer your question if you answer mine. By what authority did, was John's baptism from God or from man? Right? Those are your two choices that we have. And Jesus brought that out and made it very clear. You know, if you're going to answer my question, I'll, you know, I'll give you multiple choice. But if there's only two choices that you have, it's either God and His authority or man and his authority. So which is it? And that's really kind of the same idea that we have to recognize and understand today. And, uh, you, you know, and, and Josh, before I throw it to you, you know, Richard had pointed out, you know, he, he used the word opinion, right? But the, the thing about authority is as we get into this, you know, hopefully we can have an understanding that, that it's not going to be based on opinion. This is going to be based on something that is objective, something that is absolute. This is what the Bible says, and so this is our authority, and and that's, you know, what we want to try and get across to our listeners today. 
So yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and I think if you look at some examples in the Old Testament, you see that worship does matter to God, and how we worship matters to God. Um, I would begin in Genesis chapter 4 with probably the first instance of that. Uh, Cain and Abel both offer a sacrifice and bring an offering to the Lord, and Cain's is rejected, but Abel's is accepted. And so, I don't know all the details associated with that necessarily because the text doesn't necessarily tell us, but we do know that whatever it was about Abel or Cain's offering, it wasn't what God wanted in, in some form or another. It wasn't what God wanted, and so God rejected that. You look later on into the the Old Test or into the Book of Exodus uh, when uh, God is setting the pattern for the Passover feast. God says, I want you to do this. And he was very specific as to the days he, they were to do what they were to do and, and, what, and exactly what they were to do on each given day. God was very specific with how he wanted them to observe the Passover. And then I think one of the, the greatest examples that we have as far as worship is concerned would be in Leviticus chapter 10 with the sin of Nadab and Abihu. Uh, here they are, the priests of God offering he says, strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Um, <clears throat> to, to set the stage for that a little bit, Nadab and Abihu were two of the ones that went up onto the mountain with Moses. Uh, they were the ones that sat with Moses in the presence of the Lord to eat a meal together on the Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus. Uh, they were the ones that heard the voice of God. They were the ones that witnessed uh, the the out pouring of wrath that took place because of the golden calf. They see all of that. They see the wrath of God and they see Israel being spared as a result of that. And yet they think that we can offer any fire to the Lord and God's going to be pleased. And one of the things that I think is important about the 10th chapter of Leviticus is in verse three, after Nadab and Abihu are struck dead by the Lord because of their, their sin, Moses God tells Moses to tell Aaron, by those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. And so I think that at the heart of the issue here, you have Nadam and Abihu, by their rejection of God's pattern, they are not honoring the Lord as holy. And that's how God sees it. We are not regarding him as the Holy One. We are not regarding him as the Almighty. And in reality, when we substitute our own pattern for God's pattern, what we're doing is not worshiping God, but worshiping ourselves because we're worshiping according to our desires. I'm honoring myself, my desires, and God will not be pleased with that. And so I think as far as worship is concerned, uh, God expects us to follow his pattern. He says that in the building of the tabernacle, which was associated with the worship of Israel. Uh, and God says, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. And so what we do, how we approach God is going to matter. And God has set forth the pattern by which we may approach him. And if we're going to please him, we have to follow that pattern. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's that's what's so important for us to understand is the fact that there is a pattern, there is a standard, right? I mean, that's what we talk about when we talk about authority. 
it is that standard that we use that can help us come to the same conclusion. And so I think it's important for us as we as we move forward, because we come to the New Testament, God has, you know, just as in the Old Testament, God has made certain things very specific, certain things that he's commanded, uh, such as there in Colossians 3, backing up a verse from where we were earlier, verse 16, where he talks about speaking to one another, you know, let the word of God dwell in you richly, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And so there were some very specific things that God mentioned, uh, he says, that he desires for us when it comes to our worship to him. And so in order to come to an understanding and and really emphasize authority, first, I think we need to define a few terms because, you know, Richard, you brought up Christmas service because in one sense— all of us, all three of us, are going to be having a Christmas service this year because Christmas, December 25th, falls on a Sunday, and we will be meeting and worshiping God on the first day of the week, December 25th, 2022. And so we will be meeting for services and worshiping God on Christmas Day, right? So we will be having a Christmas service um, and, but that's, that's not what we're talking about. Right. Richard. You're muted. Is he? <laughs> I mean, he sounds better that, that way, but that's good. Cause I was talking over you. That doesn't make it a Christmas service just because we're meeting on December 25th, because it's the first day of the week does not make it a Christmas service. If someone comes to church and asks me, if we're going to have a Christmas service, I'm going to tell them no. But we will be worshiping on the first day of the week. We'll uh, be having a service on Christmas, but not a Christmas service. Exactly. Because <laughs> that's the way the world defines. Well, they don't, that, they, they don't define it that way. What's, what is their definition, though? That's, that's what I want to, you know, what, what are you saying when you say, you know, they use those terms, but they mean it differently. How, how are they meaning it? What are they expecting? They're, they're ex expecting some type of celebration of Christ's birth. And, it, you know, each, each one of these churches that do this do it differently. Sometimes, you know, they'll be uh, singing traditional Christmas carols. Uh, sometimes they'll have a play. Um, and, you know, just it all depends. I've never really been to one, if you want to know the truth. Uh, yeah. So I can't say for sure what they're going to do, but uh, I know that there's going to be things, uh, you know, observations that uh, uh, that Christians are not specifically informed to celebrate on that particular day and that particular day only. Can we remember Christ's uh, birth? Yes, it's in the Bible. Can I preach on it? Yes, I can preach on it. Uh, but I can preach on it in July. I, I can preach on it, and I have. Uh, there, there's many things we can do in remembrance of Christ's birth because it is biblical. But to do so on a specific day... Um, all of a sudden now that's putting uh, 
that that's trying to bind something that has not been bound. And so that's, that's, that's an expectation that many people, I think, uh, are missing the point of. Yeah. I, so I think a lot of folks, um, they, they've placed an emphasis on a specific day, right? December 25th, which is not found in the scriptures. I mean, that particular day, that time of year, though, the, the that type of thing is not something that um, that we are we are told. It's not been revealed to us. The birth of Christ is a biblical subject. Absolutely, it is something that um, you know, that we talk about, we preach about. It is to be in, in a sense celebrated. But so is the life of Christ. So is his death, right, in, in his burial and resurrection, which we do in a very specific way because it's been told to us through the Lord's Supper, for example. Uh, and so, you know, we we do that because we we are giving that specific information. Um, but as you point out, to to uh, set a day, specific day of a year, uh, is something that we're not told in the scriptures. We, there is no authority, you know, to say, all right, this is the day that this is to be done um, when it comes to the birth of Christ that's not information we're given. We are told together on the first day of the week. We're told to take the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. Right? There, there are certain things we are specifically told to do when we gather together, Colossians 3, 16, Ephesians 5, 19. But, but, there, but then we get into things that we're not told. And that goes back, Josh, I think to your point, even going back to Leviticus chapter 10, they were very presumptuous. They they were very um, very much you know doing something that uh, they weren't told to do, and God was not pleased with that. Yeah, and as far as remembrance of Christ, uh, the Bible does give us instruction as far as remembering Christ, and it has nothing to do with his birth, actually. I mean, the, the Bible doesn't spend a whole lot of time speaking about the birth, actually. I mean, it, it mentions it. it. It tells us some details about it. I mean, the details that we need to know about it. Uh, but there's no celebration that's listed regarding or instructed regarding the birth of Christ. The, the instruction that we have is regarding the death of Christ. And that's something that we do each and every Lord's Day as we gather around the, the table and remember his death as we partake of the, the Lord's Supper. I mean, that's the, the emphasis that the Bible gives as far as the Christ, is that he died on the cross to redeem us from sin and rose from the grave in, in victory. And that's what we celebrate. That's what we, we spend our time contemplating is uh, the death of Jesus and everything that that has accomplished for us. And, I know we even make a holiday out of that one too in, in Easter uh, time, but that's something that, that that we do each and every Lord's Day, or we ought to be doing each and every Lord's Day, yeah. as we we think about the the death of Christ and the significance that that has as far as our life is concerned. After all, Paul says in First Corinthians fifteen, if Christ is not risen, then we are dead in sin still. Then our 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 faith is vain, and we are still in our sin. And so. Um, Again, yeah, like 
uh, Richard mentioned, I mean, we we can acknowledge the birth of Christ, and I think we ought to, and uh, preach on it at times. But as far as a a day set aside that's devoted to the birth of Christ, we simply don't see any of that in the in the scriptures. It, well, well, that I, raise the question then: How did this come about? Because man failed to respect the authority of the scriptures. They were, it's the same every time in the Bible that you see men trying to worship God as they see fit. And it's, they use the exact same reason. They're, They're not recognizing the authority of God. They're not looking for who told you to do that. And so when we're thinking about our worship to God, all right, especially on Christmas, if we want to let Santa come visit the church and introduce that to our worship service, then our first thought should be, who told us we can do that? You know, if if we want to exchange gifts as part of our worship service, our first thought should be, who told us we could do that? Um, if we want to take the Lord's Supper and change the meaning of it to remember Christ's birth, okay, our first thought should be, who's told us we could do that? You know, these types of things need to be questioned before we partake in it. Those That's the very thing that Nadab and Abihu should have questioned back in Leviticus 10 before they took the strange fire. When uh, Cain offered up his offering that that uh, Josh mentioned, he should have questioned whether or not God authorized that or not. We know from Hebrews chapter 11, it was not a faith. And because it was not a faith, we know from Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The inference is, is that he violated what God told him to do. And so, you know, all these examples that uh, we read about, like in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, are of people who usurped their authority and did not look for God's authority in the things that they were going to do. So when we're thinking about a worship service that is devoted to Christ's birth, the very first thing man should ask is who told us we can do that? Because Chris, that right there lies at the heart of why man chooses to do what he does because he doesn't go to answer that question. And, you know, we have a, a, I guess you could say a biblical example of that very concept in play. Uh, and, and it has to do with King David. I think we, we could say King David was a pretty good guy, right? Yeah, he was pretty decent. Um, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, David gets this idea, hey, I'm going to, you know, I see, you know, I've got this house of cedar, but God dwells in tents. And so I'm going to build God a nice house. And he's telling this to Nathan, and Nathan's like, go ahead. Yeah, do, do, do what you want. And that night, the Lord appears to Nathan, and he says, 
you tell David, are you the one who should build me a house to dwell in? Is this your place? Is this David's place to build me a house? And then, you know, this gets back to the 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 ways in which we understand authority. Uh, God's going to tell us what he wants. He's going to show us through example, or he's going to imply it through, you know, various, uh, well, for, through, through his words. And so, you know, God asks the question in verse 6, I have not dwelt in a house since the day I brought the sons of Israel out of Egypt. Have you seen me dwelling in a house? And then in verse 7, he clearly asked the question, did I ask you to build me a house? And so, again, we all agree that David's a good fella. Uh, you know, he's known as a man after God's own heart. But in this case, we could say that David was acting presumptuously. He says, I'm going to build God a house. And, and I think David has good motives and intentions in that. Um, but at the end of the day, God says, you've seen no example of me living in a house, and I've never asked for this. So why would you assume that I even want a house to be built? And in the end, and that's when God turns that around on David and says, you know what, you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. And that's where we find that prophecy, messianic prophecy concerning uh, the Christ who would sit on his throne. But you see that example of authority here on behalf of David as David wants to do this on God's behalf. And God says, that's not what I've asked for. Mm -hmm. And so I think that principle that, that Richard was bringing up is, is found here in Second Samuel chapter 7 when it comes to, to the Christmas services or uh, these other things that uh, brethren are wanting to do. Where did God ask for that? Where did God show us an example of this is that's what he wanted? Uh, we can't find it anywhere. And so we can't do all things in the name of the Lord. We can't stand on the word of God and do these things to do them. We're acting presumptuously and, and that's a dangerous place to be. And so uh, we need to, to look to the scriptures to see what God has asked for us to do. And it's very simple really. And simply go about doing that. And that's when God will be pleased only when we do things his way in the way that he desires. Yeah. But you know, Josh, Chris, Josh leads us to the next point, I think, is many of these who want to have a Christmas service, they'll answer is, how can you possibly think God can be against something that is so innocent and good? We're bringing joy to the faces of children. You know, we're, we're bringing happiness to others. We're celebrating Christ. How can that possibly be wrong? That's what they're going to respond with. That's what their reasoning is. But again, and I'll answer myself, uh, it, the burden of proof lies upon them to decide that this is something that God is going to be pleased with. You know, just and if and if God's pleased with it, I'm good with it. But I want to see it in the scriptures. Show me from the Bible that God is going to be happy now for the first time ever in letting man decide how he's going to worship God. Because all throughout the Old Testament, 
God has told man how he is to offer acceptable worship to God. But now we're going to say that man can do it on his own authority. That's fine, but show me the authority. Show me from the scriptures that God's good with it. Because if he's not good with it, then who are we offering this worship to? Are we offering it to God who doesn't want it, who's not pleased with it? Or are we doing it for ourselves? Which gets back to what Chris said, doing things by man's authority. And in that case, man would be themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jesus in Matthew chapter 15, verses seven through nine, in rebuking many of the Pharisees, you know, says, you know, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? You honor me with your mouth, but your heart is far from me. And in vain, you worship me, teaching as doctrine, the commandments of men. And, and that's what we're getting into is these, these, this idea and these commandments that have come from men rather than from God. Now, he says their heart is far from him. Now, I think there are some folks, and I think there are examples of folks who truly think that what they are doing is honoring and glorifying God because they, they're looking at it in a way that God is the focus. But ultimately, as you pointed out, you know, uh, who's, who, by whose authority, right? And if it's not by God's authority, then we have deceived ourselves, in 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 who is the focus the same is true for example instrumental music right when people want to say well it enhances our worship or it's something that we do because you know we we like it you've made worship about yourself rather than about god and what he desires and what he's commanded and and that's what is happening a lot of times when it comes to these uh quote unquote religious holidays is that it has become more about man and pleasing man rather than pleasing God, even when God is the the uh, apparent intended focus or appears to be the focus. It's more about, though, you, I guess I would put it this way, bringing God down to our level rather than reaching for his, right? Making God more like us rather than striving to be more like him. And uh, and that makes our worship in vain. Sure. Josh, Josh, we got a question. Yeah. Uh, David <laughs> Stamberski asked, our congregation is doing a visit with Santa on Saturday. Would you think that is not right? It's not done on a Sunday. Are you asking me to answer that? Sure, why not? Okay. Um. Now, first of all, if a group of Christians decide on their own that they want to get together and they want to take their kids to go visit the Santa at the mall, I mean, that more power to them. Um, if the church is involved in planning and, and getting this, that's not a work of the church. And it's, not so, and it's something that the church itself has no business being a part of. Yeah, uh, The church has a very particular work, and I'm going to get to a point here in a minute, but... Uh, the church has a very particular work that it is to be involved in and everything. Uh, and it's always associated with spiritual things. It's always associating with, with either building up brethren and so that they can grow in the uh, grace and knowledge of our Lord and savior, Jesus Christ, or uh, spreading the gospel to those who are lost. That's, 
that I mean that that really would summarize what the church's work is to be is to accomplish. And if it doesn't accomplish either one of those things, then it's not a work of the church, and it should not be a work of the church. And so, uh, like I said, if, if Christians want to get together and take their kids to Santa, more power to them. But uh, the church has no business being a part of that. You know, I might add, I know some Christians that have a problem with Santa Claus. Mm -hmm. And and that is something that would, you know, would also have to be taken in consideration is that what is what is the conscience of the members that you fellowship at that congregation? Uh, now, I personally don't have a problem with, you know, Santa Claus and Christmas. Uh, I do. Uh, not, let me go back by saying I, I agree with everything Josh said. Yeah. But as far as, you know, taking children to, to the, to the mall to see Santa Claus or, you know, telling them stories about Santa Claus, you know, to me, it's just like having an imaginary friend and, uh, with children, you know, sometimes you just play along with that. Um, even with that, uh, when we were opening gifts on uh, Christmas morning, when my family opened gifts, I always made sure we said a prayer to God and thanked him for these gifts before we opened them. I wanted my children to know that these gifts didn't just come from Santa. You know, that was the imaginary friend. These were These gifts came from God, and uh, that's what I wanted them to to understand. But the, the very question, the answer to that question, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't associate Santa at church because I, I do know of Christians that have a problem, even taking their children to the mall to visit Santa. They feel like they're lying to their children. And so because of that, I don't want to offend them. But uh, I definitely would not try to associate that with the church because of people like that. But then again, you know, more importantly, uh, it would be because of the answer that Josh gave. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We also had another comment that I want to bring up here um, based upon what I had said about David. Um, Dad says that David did not act presumptuously because he asked Nathan, which is true because David I guess David does go about the right course of action in that he goes to the prophet and says, Hey, this is what I want. And it's Nathan who is presumptuous because Nathan without consulting God says, you know, go ahead, do what you want. So I think that's, that's a good thought there. Yeah. Anytime um, we can correct Josh, we're, we're thankful. Thankful very much, Thomas. Appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Chris. Um, anyway, I wanted to add something to, to what we've been talking about as far as the, the, the thought that, you know, what's wrong with this? You know, what, what's wrong with having a Christmas thing? Cause we're glorifying God, right? Uh, I think part of the problem is found in second Timothy three verse 16 and 17. Here it says that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So what that's telling us is that it's the Word of God and the Word of God alone that can equip us unto every good work. Every good work. 
That means if it's not found in the Bible, it's not a good work. And so these Christmas things that people want to do, oh, it's such a good thing. It's such a positive thing. It's not a good work if it's not found in the Bible. If God hasn't instructed it, it's not a good work. And that that applies in other areas as far as the church is concerned, the work of the church is concerned. Uh, the good works that we are to be involved in as the church or as individual Christians are going to be outlined for us in the Scriptures. And if we can't clearly find them defined for us, it's not a good work. And it's not something that we should be involved in as the people of God. Yeah. No, I think those are all great points. Go ahead, Richard. Chris Kramer says, when a child does anything associated with church... They will grow up thinking that activity is a church activity, even if the adults claim it's a secular thing. Great point. Which is why you have people today assuming that the church's job is to help them with their rent when they're behind or with their electric bill when they can't make it, you know, things like that. Th these things are associated with church. With you got oh. muted, Josh. Yeah, we lost Josh. Yeah, it's my refrigerator over here. Whenever this thing cuts off, then it messes with my, my, it, it kind of causes my thing to cut out. For yeah, me. you need to be on a different circuit because you're on a different mic now because it's everything. Yes, I just replaced it now. There you so. go. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how. Um, anyway. Open anyway. the refrigerator door so we can hear you. <laughs> Well, it, it the 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 compressor cuts on, and then when it cuts off, it kind of just cut, break. Uh, kind of has as a temporary break on the the circuit, I guess. Yeah, there's a, yeah, crazy. It, it does it every week, and it's kind of annoying. But anyway, <laughs> David Stamberski followed up his question about the Santa visit. He says, "I think it's done to try to attract people." Would you not agree with that? Yeah, for, for, yeah, yeah that's why it's done. Yeah. You know? So it, you're using a worldly means to try to attract people because I guess people don't look at the Bible as enough to be attracted to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it, it, we got to be careful with the ends justify the means uh, because that, that is a mentality that is used in the religious world. And that's why we have churches building gymnasiums or skating rinks or, um, you know, having Starbucks and, and, you know, rest other restaurants, you know, they're doing things to attract people, but they're attracting people with worldly things. And, and there's an old quote is actually, I think Steve, um, Oh, uh, Paul Harvey that said, as the uh, world becomes more churchly, the church becomes more worldly. And, and I think that's part of the problem. When we want to bring people in with worldly things then they will expect worldly things moving forward and they'll want more worldly things to stay. And it, it's a, it's a dangerous precedent and an unauthorized precedent to set um, because the word of God, Paul said in Romans one, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation. And, and, and why Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, preach the word in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. 
because there will be those who will heap up to themselves teachers having itching ears. They'll find someone who will tell them what they want to hear, and they'll be turned aside from sound doctrine to fables and superstitions. And so, you know, that that's kind of uh, the idea that if if this is justified because it brings people in, then there's, you know, where does that stop? Mm-hmm. Second Thessalonians 2.14, we are called by the gospel. And if we're if that's the way God calls us is by the gospel, then as his mouthpiece, should not we be proclaiming the gospel to try to attract people? Yeah. I would think so. What attracted us to Christ? Was it Santa Claus ho ho hoing? Or was it some preacher somewhere that was proclaiming God's truth? Now, as for me, it was the truth. And if that's what attracted me to the gospel, then I would think that other people would be attracted to the gospel as well once they hear it. I think, you know, Romans 10 makes that very clear. Uh, you know, that's, that's what brings us to God is that hearing of the gospel. So unless Santa Claus is going to show up and start preaching, which I doubt that's going to happen, uh, everybody's going to be disappointed if he's not ho ho ho. And so, uh, you know, that's not going to attract anybody except people who uh, are wanting to do something other than please God. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's you right. Know, a few years ago, I came across an article that was um, dealing with the fact that um, this church somewhere was offering beer uh, to the congregants in order to kind of attract people. Well, that would do it. Yeah. Well, Kentucky, um, there was a, a Catholic, they had Bible and brew every Friday or Saturday night. So this article, um, there was a quote from an interview with a news editor for Charisma magazine. And the quote read, are beer-based outreaches really edifying in the end? If we compromise the purity and holiness of the Christian faith to win souls, are we really leading them into a true salvation after the bottle of beer is empty? Or are we merely compromising the gospel in the name of soul winning without the fruit that remains? And I think that captures the essence of the question and, and the issue here. Um, in Isaiah 55, verses what, 8 and 9, says, basically, my word shall not return to me void. It shall accomplish what I please. God's word is designed as an invitation that's going to repel some and draw others. It's going to draw those who are willing to hear and submit themselves to the gospel of Christ, but those who don't want to hear the gospel of Christ, it's going to re, it's going to repel them, and that's what it's intended to do. And what we're doing when we're adding all these other things in is we're trying to compromise the message in order to make it more appealing to them. They weren't designed to hear it or to receive it in that state. Their heart needs to change in order to be open to receiving the gospel of Christ. And yeah. we're just adding to the issue when we, yeah. yeah and these, and this isn't first of all that's not an isolated instance that you that you reference and it's not just with Catholicism either because 
Granted, there was the Bible and brew that was happening at, there in Louisville, Kentucky at a, a Catholic church. But in Nashville, there was a group um, who uh, that met in a bar and it was the ethos church in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, and that's, that's where they met. They met at a bar and, and for, you know, just to be relaxed, you know, and you, I mean, there's all kinds of articles and things that are written about that particular group and, and that thing. So, yeah, I mean, that's something that when we lose confidence in the gospel of Christ, first of all, uh, we're not, no, we're not acting by faith in those things because faith comes by the word of God, as Richard pointed out earlier. And so it comes back to that question, who told you, right? I think Richard brought that up. Who told you you could do this? And that's, uh, that's really what we're getting back to in this discussion is, you know, why are we doing it? Who are we doing it for? And, you know, uh, is it with authority from the inspired text of King Jesus or not. So with that, I'm going to leave uh, Richard get your last thoughts on this. Uh, I think I think my voice is done, so I better pass. I'm sorry. Oh, all right, all right, brother. Um, Josh, last thoughts. Well, um, as I mentioned there in Second Timothy three, you know, our goal is to be equipped unto every good work, and it's only the Word of God that's going to do that. And so we need to. Do all things in according, or do all things in the name of the Lord, and just try and be people of the book. Yeah, absolutely. We appreciate everybody who tunes in, who asks questions, and uh, you know we we have a responsibility. First Peter three and verse fifteen to give an answer for the hope that is in us, and I and I hope that you, uh, you know, you look at and you listen and and you see that that's what we're striving to do is look to the inspired text of King Jesus and simply answer from from that not adding to and not taking away from it and doing as the Bereans did in Acts chapter 17 verse 11 which is why we named the program what we did and so with that we hope everyone will tune in next Thursday as well share it out we're also on podcast if you look up either Carney Church of Christ or Berean Spirits on uh, Spotify or Google Podcast you can find us there as well uh, and until next time, remember to search the scriptures with Berean spirits. Well, folks, that's all for today. Don't worry. Lord willing, the guys will be back next week for another Bible study on Berean spirits. Until then, let the guys hear from you. Drop them some email at reinspirits at gmail.com. They'd love to hear from you. Until next time, keep studying that Bible.